Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Welcome to episode 70 of the Build My Online Store podcast. I'm your host, Terry, and this week I'm talking to Kyle DeFord, e-commerce director at Chrome Industries, where they are the original makers of bomb-proof gear for living and writing in the city. So in this episode, we're going to talk about building brand equity as a differentiator in the market, how Chrome markets their business and creates a unique experience for the customers, both online and offline. So they have a offline operation in Europe, Asia, Tokyo, Hong Kong, uh, San Francisco, New York. And so it'll be interesting to see how they tie this in together with their online store and also talk about some marketing strategies that's working really well for them and that are key to the growth uh, 18 years and going. So before we start, I want to share a blog post with you that I found uh, kind of shared with me over this past week when I was in Bangkok over at DCBKK, uh, kind of our mastermind annual meetup. It was uh, brought over by Peter Keller, one of my friends that runs friendsport.com where they sell CrossFit gear like kettlebells, barbells, weights, plates and stuff. And he brought up an article by Tony Shea over at Zappos. Uh, called uh, table selection. So if you've ever played poker, uh, Texas Hold'em, uh, w- one thing that makes it different from blackjack and say pie gal or anything is that you play against people, not the house. So uh, when you go sit down at a poker table, it can be anywhere from uh, two to three people to 10 people. And so one of the concepts that Tony talks about is that before he started Zappos, he used to play a lot of poker in California. And you can actually choose where you want to sit. So you can decide, A, you want to play with mediocre players with a lot of chips, or you can just go pro, kind of like what you see on World Poker Tour, where you have all these uh, real professional guys like I think Phil Ivey playing against uh, another guy I can't forget the names but basically the idea is that table selection comes into play and his big aha moment came when he learned that the game really started before you even sat down in a seat and if we bring it into a bigger picture uh, it's kind of like how niche selection when you're looking into e-commerce and you're trying to get into the business and you're looking at which niche to get in and this is kind of just like the same concept of table selection but I think if you bring it onto a bigger level kind of just like with myself with this podcast build my online store uh, when I started out e-commerce was still kind of a growing field and still is and no one really was fulfilling a need Uh, catering to independent entrepreneurs and so it wasn't as crowded as say the internet marketing space and so that's kind of why I got into this and so when you're looking at your niche kind of even in your business model uh, say e-commerce you're thinking about drop shipping uh, manufacturing or reselling on Amazon this is really an element of table selection that you're going for because each has its own advantages and disadvantages so for example if you're drop shipping you have no inventory cost but the trade-off you get is branding and production control right so uh, if you go to the manufacturing route kind of like I'm doing with uh ball of leather you have inventory costs uh, there is a little more financial risk but you do have better margins and you can build a brand uh, you know if you're just doing a reseller on amazon obviously you can plug into that channel and they have tons of traffic but uh, you know you're building a business on someone else's platform and so you know if you take it even a bigger level you know kind of with your life scripts uh, quitting your job becoming an entrepreneur or just choosing to move to a new table in life is kind of how this applies too. And so things like who you hang out with, uh, I don't know if you remember the episode I did with James Altucher, uh, the law of averages, right? If you're hanging out with drug addicts, alcoholics, that just want to go out, you know, and maybe just not really do much with their life, you know, it really drags you down. And so one of the big things I learned was that kind of this past week in Bangkok, hanging out with all these other entrepreneurs, you know, 200 people plus, uh, some with million dollar businesses, some just starting out, you know, it's really electrifying and just different when you're immersed in that environment. And so uh, before, you know, you make the big decisions life always think about table selection uh, the way I kind of see is that you know 
if I'm choosing to do this, you know, are people who are already doing this in a place where I want to be myself? So that's something I think uh, they should keep in mind when you're making not just, uh, you know, business decisions, but life decisions, uh, who you hang out with and, you know, all this stuff, like, you know, which business you want to get into, which niche you want to choose, which marketing strategy you want to choose and all this stuff. So a kind of little ramble from my uh, conference I attended this week at Bangkok. Uh, so let's just get into this week's episode. If you guys have any questions, uh, shoot me an email, terry at buildmyonlinestore.com. All right, so uh, first off, Carl, welcome to the show. Uh, for the listeners who don't know who you are, uh, who are you and what do you do? Uh, yeah, my name is Carl Duford. I'm from San Francisco-based Chrome Industries. And uh, I am the director of e-commerce, so kind of kind of do all the website stuff. Gotcha. And so, what is Chrome for those who may not be familiar? Well, if you're not familiar with Chrome, you should just uh, turn off the podcast right away. Go <laughs> go over to ChromeIndustries.com and uh, and check it out for yourself. Uh, you know, um, Chrome's been around for 18 years. Uh, we started off as a kind of a messenger bag company. Uh, now we do you know, not just bags, but we do apparel and footwear as well. Uh, basically, you know, products to help people live the city in which they're in. So uh, whether you're exploring. Your, your city, whether you're just living in your city, you want to commute in and out of your city, uh, products that are going to help you be both uh, mobile and, um, and and great lasting, long lasting products for you. Gotcha. And so which products are the most popular as of now? Well, um, you know, our bags are kind of, we're known for our bags. Uh, if you've uh, seen them on the street in any one of the you know global cities that might be listening to you right now, um, you know, we're big in Tokyo, we're, you know, we're big in uh, Hong Kong, Berlin, London, all over the place. And you'll you probably know the uh, the iconic seatbelt buckle bag that we make. You'll see that right on the chest of, uh, of somebody who's wearing a messenger bag. But right now, we've got a great line of uh, footwear that came out uh, over the last couple of years, and our apparel is just you know awesome as well. Great line of merino wool to keep you kind of cool in summer, warm in winter. Great storm apparel, our Chrome Storm line, uh, you know keeps you dry and wet conditions, whether you're commuting or just hanging out. So some really really great stuff. I, I would say right now bags are still number one, but all of our products are just coming on strong. Gotcha. And you guys have been in business for like 18, almost 20 years. And so I can tell your gear is very kind of urban style uh, tailored. And so you know, how has the industry changed since then? I mean, how do you guys differentiate uh, throughout the years? You know, we actually don't. Uh, we don't really look at what other people are doing. I think that's one of the things that makes Chrome great is, is uh, as far as for, from my perspective, being in love with the brand for years and now being a part of it. Um, it's nice that we don't, you know, try to chase somebody else. You know, we let other people do what they want to do. We know we make bomb-proof utility bags for for an urban lifestyle, and for that, you know, you don't really want to change much. And so it's not in our DNA to do so. So for us, you know, we we've, we've been making products better. Uh, we started making a lot of our products in the U.S. Uh, innovate on our own product lines. So we're coming out with second versions of things, whether it's uh, you know more bomb-proof materials or limited edition colors or fabrics. You know, for uh, for great you know, products we already have, uh, but we don't really change to follow the crowd. That's just not what we do. So um, I'm very proud uh, of our company for that reason. Gotcha. So you guys are taking kind of the market leader approach, just uh, forging your own path and letting things fall where they may, I guess. Yeah, exactly. We, we, know, we listen to our consumer, uh, the folks who we originally started building our gear for, our bike messengers in the cities and, and people who are ur- those urban explorers, urban creative folks who are, who are in these cities we mentioned earlier and you know, obviously here in the U.S. as well. We listen to them and we want uh, to know uh, how to make products that are going to enable them to continue to do what they're doing. 
you know, we like to say our, our stuff is good from bike to bar. So you're on your bike, you hop into work, you're commuting, and you've got some reflective hits on your Daharo windbreaker, uh, part of our uh, chrome wind line. And then you want to you know, hit the bar with your buddies. You don't want the reflectivity to show up. You know, you, a quick uh, flip of the Velcro and it's gone. Uh, you throw your bag off, your city SPD clips so you can clip into your pedals. You know, you're not going to hear them on the floor when you when you unclip and walk into your bar. So, you know, all of our stuff is based out of this kind of notion of uh, not being in the way, but being extremely useful. And, and that's kind of where we're at. Mm -hmm. And because of that, would you say your lifetime value of a customer is pretty high? Because I see you guys have bags, uh, kind of t-shirts, pants, even socks and shoes? Yeah, for sure. You know, our uh, our bags are, are guaranteed for life. So that's first and foremost. You know, we know, we believe in our product. And, you know, normal wear, normal wear and tear happens, but we, we, we promise that nothing's going to happen that's catastrophic. Uh, and if it does, we'll guarantee it. And if we can't fix it, we'll replace it. And uh, I'm happy to say that that happens very infrequently. But because of that, because we value our products, it means that you have this great connection with the end consumer, whether that's they buy it online or whether they buy it in a retail store, uh, ours or somebody else's, um, and because they, they feel you have a, a good, genuine uh, product, which is going to last a long time, you inherently develop this long-term connection with them. So you might not see them on a day-to-day -day basis, but they're wearing your product very close to their body all the time. And, you know, you develop this great emotional connection to the brand that way. So it's all good. Gotcha. All right. And so how big is the team? Because I understand you guys have retail locations kind of around the world, too. Well, we have some uh, wholesalers who carry our products around the world, uh, um, all over the place, including uh, Asia, uh, Asia, Europe, uh, Canada, uh, and then in the United States. But then we also have our Chrome hubs uh, in four locations in the United States right now. And that's in San Francisco, Chicago, Portland and New York City. Uh, and you can carry a full line of Chrome, only Chrome gear. And, and then we also sell online. Uh, the crew that handles the online is, you know, fairly small. It's about uh, six or seven folks globally. Um, and then there's a larger team, of course, that handles retail. But uh, retail is a little bit outside of my purview, but, but we definitely work with them uh, pretty closely. If we're trying to give the audience a size of the business, would uh, like 10 million a year be a safe ballpark number? Or? Yeah, you know, I can't really divulge a lot of that stuff. Um, but, uh, but I would say that we're, we're bigger than that. And, uh, you know, e-commerce is a big part of our, of our pie. It's a big piece of the pie. We've been around for a while. We have great products. And so you can kind of see where we would be in the market. There's some people who have been around a little before us, not much before us. And then there's a lot of people who come on after us. And so I would like to say that we're, we're, doing, we're doing well to better the world with, uh, with our products. And so, uh, you know, as you run the e-commerce side, you know, do you see it growing faster than the offline retail? That's an interesting question. I see e-commerce growing from a usability standpoint, where people want to come in and 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 shop quickly and you know in earnest, and you know whether it's the holidays that are coming up or, or whatnot. But from a brand perspective, people are finding us from a multitude of ways, and so our retail and our online are growing at the same pace, uh, the same velocity. Although we have a bigger chunk of the pie, just because we cover obviously the world. But as far as uh, retail is concerned, uh, because I think because we're a manufacturer, it's a little different than if you're a reseller where you carry multiple brands. I think there's a lot of showrooming that happens at that point, and then people come and shop online. For us, though, uh, you know, I people love the brand, so when they see Chrome, they go in and uh, and, and want to explore. And so the, the shopping experience isn't quite different from retail to online as it would be from for other folks. I see. And you mentioned showrooming. Um, does that happen to you guys too? Like people 
go to your store, but then they buy it online in the end? Or? Well, it definitely happens. Um, I think it's, it's more, that happens more with our dealers than with us. Uh, again, when you come into a Chrome store, you're coming into an experience. Uh, you know, you're going to be greeted by some folks who, you know, who may have just gotten off a shift from, uh, from bicycle messaging earlier in the city. We might see some folks hanging out on the sofa just talking about music. You know, in our San Francisco store, we've got a coffee shop next door, and there's, it's a big hangout location for uh, people in that part of town all day long. So it's that experience. And so in that experience, um, you typically are able to get the customer into what they want. And they're seeing people using our gear, uh, whether they're staying at the coffee shop or hanging out, uh, or they just got off their bike and they unclipped in one of our shoes. Uh, so it's not as big of a deal in, in retail. Uh, in our dealers, for sure, people always think they're going to get a better deal online. And so they go in the showroom and they, they, uh, they come home, they go to work, they go on their mobile. And then they check out if they can get a better deal online. Uh, we typically match all of our dealers' prices and vice versa. So that's typically a, not a great way to go for them. But it, it is happening. It's a phenomenon that's happening across e-commerce and, and retailing in general. And I believe it's going to be a really bad year uh, holiday-wise for showrooming and a really good year for e-commerce. But again, for Chrome, not as, not as big of a deal. And, that's, and that, this is really important. I don't want to go on about this, but... It's really important to know. That's why I started off by saying, you know, we've got that connection with our consumer. It's really about making great product, standing behind your product, and developing a long-lasting relationship with that end consumer. If that's the case, they're not going to come in, uh, look around your own store, and then bail. Uh, they're going to come in and engage and uh, really be part of that community. And so that's a, that's a really big difference uh, between us and other manufacturers who also have retail and online. Yeah, would it be right to say that your branding has a big thing to do with that too? Because if you're going to go to Best Buy, you buy like a DVD player. I mean, it's really easy to just showroom it and buy it on Amazon. Whereas you guys, uh, you know, you get on your website or through a dealer, really your choices are pretty limited. <laughs> that's, that's right. Your choices are limited in the sense that uh, you're not going to get any other brand. I'd like to think that we've developed a great website experience where if you look at it, our shop tab is one tab. Everything else in our navigation is all experience, community, um, events, places where you can really interact with our brand. And, and hats off to our president, Steve McCallion, who did a great job creative directing the website and, and making sure that we covered all those bases because the point of it is not to sell product solely. Now that might be a very weird thing to say on an e-commerce podcast, but in the sense that we are really building community. And so whether you come in the door and, and buy something right away, or you come in the door and want to read up on what John Cardiel is doing in the skate slash bike community in New York City and not buy for five years, you know, we're going to let you do that because Chrome is not about just selling. And so that's a vital difference. And we're very lucky to be in a position where we don't have to worry about just making sure everyone coming in has to leave with a product. So it puts us in a unique position. And what happens over time organically is those people end up buying anyway. So you don't force the issue. It's kind of like someone coming over to your house and you, you know, you're making them drink the bottle of wine you just opened for dinner. Or if you just hang out and have some dinner, have some conversation, the wine's going to flow eventually. And that's kind of what we want to do on uh, chromeindustries.com. I see. And I'm sure at kind of like your SF location, there's got to be some vibe there uh, when you're there like right now, kind of like people chatting in the background. Like, How do you translate that online into an e-commerce environment? Or at least what are some of the ways you guys attempt to do that? Well, it's all part of the photography, the language you use, the types of stories you're telling, the events you're talking about. Um, and that's a very big team. I mean, there's a lot of folks at Chrome who, who go a long way to make sure that we remain authentic. I was speaking at a conference recently in Vegas, and it was a woman who raised her hand and asked me a question about how to speak on social. The, the, the topic was on social retargeting. Um, she was like, how do you speak on social to your audience? And I said, well, what is your company? And she said, we sell inner city rap music. And uh, I don't know if it was di digital or not, but it was, this, it was this young white gal 
And I said, well, who's in your company? And she said, well, it's all women that we all knew each other in college. And the first thing I said was, I mean, I shook my head a little bit. And the first thing I said to this room of like 500 people was, you know, get somebody who knows that space. You have to be authentic. You have to have an inner city, you know, guy who's in rap music talking about it. People can, you know, sniff out something that's a, that's a rat really, really quickly. And so we pride ourselves on hiring folks from the bicycle community, from the messenger community. We promote from within. We have people who really understand what it's like to live the city because if you're not if you're not authentic, then you really can't stand behind the products you're making for those people. When you come to the website, you know, we really engage those folks by providing a great authentic brand experience. And if you sit back and just look at it, it just, it just makes sense. I'm at your website now and I noticed like the story section, you guys have a bunch of, I guess, subcategories, kind of like just people that are making the bags, uh, what people are using your gear for. And so was that kind of built into the brand from the offline to the online or? Chrome is not just about bags of power and footwear. Chrome is a community. Chrome's a movement. Chrome's a bunch of people who, uh, who want to live the city. And to do that, it's, you, know, you don't want to just place you know, your, your shopping uh, navigation up top and hide your stories. So for us, those stories are very important. It's what makes Chrome Chrome. But more importantly, it's what makes, what makes people behind Chrome authentic. And so um, those stories, some of them have been cultivated from uh, from the hubs, our Chrome retail stores across the country. Some of them have been cultivated specifically for online. Um, but most of them are, are really just from the community. So whether you're talking about our Third Thursdays, which is a, you know, basically our party in our hub stores, or if you're talking about you know, Wrenched, uh, which is you know, guides on how to live the city, and, and uh, we're releasing them in a couple different um, countries and cities. We just released Wrenched London, a, a guide, an urban guide to London. Great job, by the way. If you get a chance to go online and, and look up Wrenched London, uh, Andy Ellis uh, from Fix Gear Magazine did a great job for us on that. Uh, but that's what it's about. I mean, it's those are the stories that you can really just get excited about. Yeah, I mean, I come from an e-commerce background, and so I want people to come in and buy something. But, but man, when you start realizing that someone wants to come in and flip through some pages of, of a virtual online city guide or read a story about, you know, about Ed Wonka, you know, jumping off of a, a, you know, I don't even know what he does, jumping off some stairs with his bike and great messenger squid from New York City, you know, and all the packages he's been delivering and the products he's helped develop for us. I mean, like, those are the kind of things that you just go, man, I mean, even saying it just is a lot more exciting than having somebody come in and buy something. And that's what I mean. I mean, people will buy eventually if they love your brand and if they love your product. And so those stories are, are really what make up the backbone of who we are. Nice. So I'm sure you see all the analytics data. I'm guessing the bounce rate is pretty low with all this content. Uh, well, the content actually drives obviously a lot of, uh, a lot of viewers and visits because uh, all that stuff goes out uh, into, the, into the ether of the world and, and people find us from, from many different touch points. And our bounce rates are, are below industry average for an e-commerce website. You know, but definitely we still get um, our, our fair share of junk traffic that comes in for, you know, for a multitude of reasons or people who think they're seeing the wrong thing or or whatever, and that's fine. You know, we don't want those folks. You know, if you're uh, if you're coming to look for something else and, and we can't deliver, it's okay to not come back. Uh, but we definitely have a lot of a lot of repeat traffic and a lot of folks who engage with us because they want to learn what's going on next. And so uh, again, those folks may or may not purchase, but um, but eventually uh, you're going to find them in some Chrome gear. Yeah, like I guess the kind of your corporate lawyer that's in a suit all the time isn't really <laughs> suitable for you guys, right? It seems kind of like the vibe I'm getting just off the website. Oh yeah, we don't we don't have anyone who wear ties in the office. It's very very rare to find to find anybody in a in a any kind of collared shirt at all. Um, you know we've got a we've got a good share of women in the office, uh, but they, they come from the bike world, and so everyone's you know typically jeans and t-shirts, a lot of tattoos and uh, and stuff. But good good quality people who who love what they do uh, because they love the brand. So 
uh, yeah, we, we definitely have, uh, you know, the suits here and there, but, uh, but, they, but they rarely come into the office. Yeah, gotcha. And so as far as content-wise on the websites, uh, you're saying it's really creating an experience for the customer. Now, are you finding like photos are doing really well or videos or kind of just your typical blog posts? Uh, you know, that's, that's really interesting. Um, if you talk photos and videos, uh, videos do really well on the story section and the blog section. Comparatively, uh, and I'll bring this back a little bit to e-commerce because I know that's what uh, your listeners are, are most concerned about. Uh, but we've done a lot of comparative tests between video and, um, and photos and what sells better. Uh, on category pages. Now, if you're on a product page, you know, a video to help explain usage is always great. It always helps conversion. But from getting people into a product category, we found that videos were actually not performing much better than, than photos. There's a great um, case study on the new uh, book called A-B Testing uh, put out by the folks who started and founded uh, Optimizely, um, which is that case study of ours, actually. We did some testing, thorough testing, and we found out that videos are more expensive to produce, the content's harder to create, um, and at the end of the day, most people didn't engage anymore. So the cost of creating those, that, that original content, again, for the e-commerce side, you know, didn't ROI for us. And so we just got people right into it. On the story side and the blog side and the content side, absolutely videos win uh, because people want to see. That's where people are coming in and lounging out. I mean, this is, you know, we like to create a community where people can come in and kick back, sit on our sofa, drink a beer and, and listen, to some, uh, listen to some punk rock music. And, and so if you're in that kind of area uh, of your life and, or, you know, your day and you just want to you know, kick back with Chrome, uh, videos are definitely winning in that space. So that, that's more blog content. It's more original content for us. It's, we partner with a lot of great companies, uh, videographers and folks who, uh, who are, live in the city and just really want to document it um, and, and uh, throw it on over to us to, to share. So that's really where it wins for us. Gotcha. So let me just recap. I'm understanding this right. So you're saying the content that was created to drive people to a certain product category or product page didn't work so well versus then the kind of blog content marketing type of purpose. Right. And, and again, two vastly different objectives on these, right? Um, one is to get people to engage in, in really city living and uh, in what we're about. The other one is to get people to engage in product and have them buy, which is a, you know, a very big piece of, of, of doing business. Well, I downplay that a little bit. Obviously, if you don't sell your product, you're not going to be around to tell those stories much longer. We're talking about you know, typical, typical hierarchy of an e-commerce website. You've got your homepage, you have your category pages, subcategory pages, and then your product page. What I'm saying is that on those category pages, getting people excited about that category and engage on that category, whether you're talking footwear or outerwear, uh, videos didn't help so much. They typically only help in the e-commerce realm, from my experience, is when you get them down to the product level. And when they're trying to learn more about their product, they're trying to make a decision whether they should buy or not. Now, on that level, at that moment, when you're trying to understand their product fully enough to decide if you want to click that button or not to buy, uh, that's when you have a product usage video. is very, very important. So uh, right now, we don't do a good job of that uh, just because of our bandwidth, um, but we're releasing a series of videos next year, uh, which will help uh, kind of reinforce uh, our products on the product pages. Yeah, I see you guys kind of have a middle ground where you have, I think, I'm just looking at a messenger bag and you guys have about six or seven product photos, and there's like two or three or some using this in the city, I guess, kind of to see what it looks like in the real world. Right, exactly. Um, yes, we have we, what we call our lifestyle images, uh, our bags in use, our footwear in use, our power in use, all of that stuff is very important. Um, and it's it's the right kind of person, it's the right atmosphere, it's the right environment. Um, and then we also have our studio shots, which are the ones that you land on to see the product on typically a white background. So both very important, both tell a great story. Uh, together they help uh, explain the product themselves. Yeah, gotcha. And just to go offline a little bit, there's a photography studio I found recently in Australia. They do 360 product photography. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen that. I was at a menswear company a couple of years ago called Alaska. Uh, it's out of business now, but here in San Francisco. 
um, and they explored that a little bit. Um, I've uh, consulted with a couple companies that like to do that sort of thing. And, you know, if you're looking at hard goods, if you're looking at like cell phone cases or, you know, something like that, I mean, I think it, it's really, it's compelling for Chrome and for us, you know, you know, a bag is such a personal purchase. Uh, the clothing is such a personal purchase. And we feel that that might oversimplify the bag. I don't know if that makes any sense to, to I know, your list. I know what you mean. It like commoditizes the product a little bit. Ex- exactly. Yeah, that's the word. It, exactly. You know, we're not, we're, you know, we're not Vanna White here. We're not on QVC. This is not something, you know, our bags aren't 40 bucks and are going to break apart. You know, they're, they're expensive investments, um, but they're going to last a lifetime. And to do that, you want to take a little bit of care on how you present it. For folks who are out there who are, again, this is, that's a great tool for something like a reseller. If you're a brand company and you're, you're manufacturing your own product and you're selling your own product exclusively, you know, really think about how you want to position yourself because that's, that's part of the battle. Very simple thing. You, know, you wouldn't sell elegant perfume of $100 a bottle and you, and you put rap music behind it or something or blaring gaudy colors. You know, you're thinking about a very serif, elegant typeface and a white background and you know, maybe flowers and that sort of thing. Right? So you don't want to juxtapose your product just because you can do something. It doesn't mean you should do it. So tools like that are great, but we have to really make sure that you know uh, when's appropriate to use them. Yeah, definitely makes sense. Because I think it's one thing to see a guy, you know, kind of there's this guy in the city in SF with a motorcycle and then your bags versus a white background. There's definitely a different feel that comes off from that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, awesome. All right. And so I was looking on your LinkedIn profile before we had the call. I understand you kind of come Uh-oh. from a background of uh, <laughs> some UX, UI design too. I wanted to go into that a little bit because I know d- design is kind of a tricky part that a lot of people can figure out, right? Because uh, the way you create the experience, you know, how they land on your website, whether they click, like, that seems very kind of hippy-dippy for most people. So, I mean, do you have any advice on someone who's starting out the store? How should they think about design or getting started? Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is a, you know, this is a 18 series podcast in and of itself. Um, you know, design is something that's not taken lightly. I don't take it lightly at all. From a high level, I mean, design is really just con- Vein your ideas in a, in, a, in a hierarchy, in a nice, elegant way. Uh, you're basically just elevating content to the point of uh, uh, acceptance. And so you don't want your design to be jarring. You don't want it to be, um, you don't want it to get in the way of reading, reading your content, buying your product, understanding your message. I mean, all those things are, you want them to be elevated. You want your message to be elevated. It's why, you know, people who do their resume in Times New Roman from Microsoft Word uh, don't get their message across from uh, somebody who takes a little bit more time and designs, uh, designs it and likens their personality to the typeface choice and so forth. So you have to take this stuff very seriously. On a very high level, I can say this. Um, UX design right now is at a very, very interesting, interesting place. There's a lot of going away from the glitz and glamour of what you can do with, with CSS. It's more of this flat design trend, of, uh, especially for um, SaaS companies, you know, software service companies. are going to very flat design, uh, not a lot of bells and whistles. And I think if you look at the heart of that and why it's been so successful, it's because it's really just stripped down messaging. It's just like getting your message across. You're not trying to sugarcoat it with, with drop shadows and bezels and, um, and rotating typefaces or whatever. It's um, it's it's just a, you know what I mean? It's it's just a very interesting way of of exploring online right now, and with you know color matching technology and the way uh, the way screens are getting so much more rich and retina displays are more prominent. I mean, you can get away with you know subtle uh, subtle flat colors and not have to worry about these gradients and all these things which were very pervasive and still are, you know. But the, but really, the last couple of years have been the trend. Um, but when you're looking at something like e-commerce. I firmly believe, you know, you don't want to get in, get in the way of yourself. Uh, you know, you want to make sure you're, you're obviously true to the brand, like we talked about earlier, but you want to present a message in a very logical way. So 
you know, add to cart buttons above the fold or buy now um, or uh, making sure your color palette is in sync with what your designers have given you from, you know, if they design the logo or not as well. You know, making sure that your, you know, your typeface isn't too big and, and uh, you know, the, the letter spacing and the tracking is all legible. And, and you know, it's, again, it's not, you're not stepping over yourself. I would definitely encourage anyone to, uh, who's thinking of starting off from scratch to either start from a template which has been you know, designed specifically and has a proven track record or use somebody who, uh, who has experience in UX and UI design because you don't want to you know, uh, stumble there. Uh, and then the next layer on top of that is obviously you want to do some A-B testing. You know, that's the heart and soul right now. And we have a, we're living in a world of data. Never before has information like this been available to us and, and, and for sure not for people online in e-commerce. It's not just analytics we're talking about. We're talking about do people click on this or scroll down if it's red versus green? Um, you know, if the typeface is 14 point versus 13 point or Arial versus Helvetica or, you know, whatever. Um, are people's uh, engagements and interaction with your page um, or, or the event you want them to, to do, whether it's click on a button or, you know, scroll down or flip through things, when is the most optimized point? And that could be a combination of factors or it could be just, well, all I had to do was move my add to cart button slightly above the fold and my conversion rate went up by 50 points, you know. And I, those kind of things are very important. So design is a great way to start. Um, obviously, you want a good look and feel that's in line with your brand aesthetic and conveys the message that, uh, um, that's, you know, that, that is really you know, coming from who you are. Um, and then after that, you really want to just always test, learn, and repeat uh, to make sure you're always optimizing the experience. So I know that's a very long-winded way of explaining that, but that's kind of how we approach things. Yeah, and so you brought in, you brought up the kind of can of worms on A-B testing. So I'm curious, you know, how does a big business like you guys uh, approach A-B testing? Uh, A-B testing is very simple. Uh, you know, I, I gave a talk uh, two weeks ago on A-B testing, and, and the first thing I said was I asked people to raise their hand if they'd, um, you know, who's who's been A-B testing? And a few people raised their hand. I said, okay, who's never A-B tested? And and a few more people raised their hand, and I, and I said, I called them out, and I said, that's not true. And they said, oh, no, no, I've never A-B tested. And I go, of course you A-B test. You go to the grocery store, and you go in one line, and, and it's longer, and it takes you longer. And the next time you come in, you test the shorter line, and it, it's faster. You've optimized your, your, your shopping experience. I mean, that's all A-B testing is. You're, you're, you're choosing two, three, four multivariant paths, and you're choosing the best one for you at that moment. In e-commerce, you're doing it for your customer. And so we all do it. So... But you would never start that scenario by saying, well, I'm going to try this line and that line and 50 other lines because, you know, you're going to weed the whole thing. Uh, you're not going to weed it out, rather. You're going to water it down to the point where your test makes no sense whatsoever. Your sample size is too small or, in this case, too big. You don't have enough experiences and you're going to be wasting a lot of time to really determine that the shorter line is the faster line. And so we always start with the hypothesis. And I would say whether you're a small company or a large company, that's the fundamental place to start. What is your hypothesis? I think this behavior is happening because of X, Y, and Z. You might have some analytics to back that up. You might see some referral traffic to back that up. Maybe bounce rates, maybe engagement rates have changed somehow. Uh, you know, you'd say, well, I think this might be the way um, that they're behaving. I'm going to try this. Um, and then that's really your first A-B test, your control group, how it is existing, and then trying your, your modification. Don't go crazy on this thing. Don't do an A, B, C, D, E, F test. You know, just do an A-B test and see what happens. Um, does it move the needle? Does it, does, does it not? Um, if it does, you know, what can you learn from that? Was it the placement? Was it the positioning? Was it, was it the language or the messaging? Was it the size? Those kind of things. But do them one at a time and give your test ample time to run. Uh, at that point, glean the information you can um, and then add another layer. And then maybe you've changed one thing. Uh, maybe that's your new A. That's your new constant. 
and then you can change it to the next uh, variant and, uh, and, and so forth. People get so excited about these new online A-B testing tools and they change the entire look of their website to test it. Well, that's not really a, a valid test because you know, if I get in a Porsche one day and I go into a BMW the next day, they're both great cars. But if I change the engine on that Porsche, um, now I've got a test. I'm testing my engine. I'm not testing the entire experience. So it's very careful to look at how you do it. Whether you're small, whether you've got five visitors a day or 500,000, come up with your hypothesis, why they're behaving a certain way. See if you can back it up with some data and then really go after the real data. Gotcha. And so from a very top-down level, would you start kind of like at the bottom of the funnel with like cart abandonment conversions there? Or would you start off like more up top with like the shopping experience and kind of all of that stuff? You know, that's a great question. Um, I would start where you think the issue is. And if you think that people are, are adding products to your cart, but they're not converting to the success page, uh, you know, that's a great place to start. If, if you're business is based on, on, uh, on revenue and you're not hitting your goals anymore and you're realizing that more people are coming to the cart than ever uh, and not, not quite succeeding, um, yeah, that's a great place to test. Obviously, in that situation, I, I have to say this, you want to test your payment processor and make sure all those things are working first, but assuming they are, yeah, you want to test out your, your flow. Are you using multi-step checkout? Um, are your steps labeled? Are those things clear? Are the steps, uh, you know, in a typeface, which is legible? Those are the kind of things you want to look at, but I wouldn't necessarily jump to one thing over another if you know versus the entire user experience versus the cart again it's you know it's where people are hitting a snag and where you think they're hitting a snag i mean that's really this hypothesis situation so you could be having people not check out but you might not be having the right product this and you might, might not be merchandising it correctly so you have to look at the funnel see where these people are coming through so it's not your aggregate number of people in the checkout which is now commingled with a good and a bad page you have to back up the funnel a little bit to decide that oh well wow, it's really people who come to this page get stuck well, why is it? Do they surf off to another site? Um, are they having a bad experience on that page, or so forth? So it really does involve not just kind of a spitballing, um, you know, kind of you know methodology. It's really a targeted one. And you really want to start with a high level. What are my issues? And then uh, and then continue down the pathway. I see. So not just you know randomly choosing something, but actually being data driven and going from there too. That makes sense. Right. I mean, I'll give you another analogy if you want. I mean, if I walk into a room full, I'm happily married, but if I'm walking into a room full of uh, folks and I'm a single guy uh, and you see, you know, a hundred women there, um, you know, you're not going to just yell out your catch line for the night. You're going to tall, dark and handsome. And <laughs> right, right. Exactly. It's not, you know, you're not going to say, you know, did your dad steal the stars and put them in your eyes to the whole group. You're going to go up to one or two of them, ones that you like, ones that you think might convert, if you will. And you're going to talk to them. I mean, that's the kind of thing you just don't want to just throw this thing up in the air and, and see what happens. It's, that's a very, very JV way of looking at A-B testing. And, and unfortunately, that's what's happening right now with a lot of folks who have access to these new tools. So talk to somebody who's, a, who's an expert in that area and, and, and really take a look at where you can um, uh, highly optimize your website. Gotcha. And so for a large business like Chrome, how many A-B tests are you guys running at kind of at one point in time? Oh, we could have, um, you know, 20 to 30 running at any one moment. I think right now we're looking at maybe like 10 or 12, but sometimes you're just trying to prove something that you believe to be true. And sometimes you're, you know, trying something different. Sometimes you just want to make sure that what you just did didn't screw up the whole, you know, the whole thing, uh, whatever that is. Right now we're testing top of mind. I think we're testing some messaging on the homepage, uh, which is served to a very small fraction of folks. And that's another thing too, you know, you know, you can definitely serve up your, your test to, you know, half or more of your visitors, but we like to do small sections at a time and see if we can glean information there before we roll it out to a larger uh, set. So it's just kind of a, right now, I think it's just testing a lot of the verbiage and making sure that we're on, on target and we haven't lost sight of what we want to do. But for sure, we, at any moment, we might be testing uh, videos or, or um, you know, landing page images, parasol images and things like that. Gotcha. And how long do you 
decide that okay this is worth changing or this is worth reverting back to is there like a couple of da- couple hundred data points or like certain two to three months or well i mentioned this tool um optimizely which i'm not sure if your listeners have uh, have uh, known about it was founded by one of the guys who worked on the original obama campaign and there's a you know they wrote that book a b testing uh, we're proud to be uh, mentioned in there but really like the tool because it kind of does that for you once you choose your test and choose what you want to both optimize for whether it's clicks or engagement on the page or whatever um, or a funnel path, you let the test run, and, and they'll let you know when it's statistically relevant uh, to take a look at your data. Uh, and they have some great tools to look at uh, your chance to beat the baseline and what the baseline is and how your control group engages with a page or takes action on a page versus your you know, your new test group. And so those kind of tools, the better ones, definitely have those tools for you. You don't have to be an expert in this stuff and data analysis. You just have to be able to read and, 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 and see what number's higher and which one you want to go with. But again, that's really when it comes and to making sure you have a large enough pool to test uh, to test your data, and they'll let you know when it becomes statistically relevant. Gotcha. And so this kind of delves into marketing a little bit. So obviously, you were saying uh, the stories, kind of the content side of the business, is really driving visitors, engagements, and the whole experience. You know, how are you guys splitting your resources? Like, are you guys using paid traffic too, like pay per click, or is it just strictly organic and social media now? We use. Uh uh, we lose a lot of different things. Um, we use obviously uh, organic traffic is a big part of of anyone's uh, health of online. Um, that includes both brand and non-brand terms. Uh, it also includes paid search because you might not know what you're looking for, and uh, if, if you don't know to look for something uh, that we offer, and you're more inclined to click on a paid ad than than some organic ads or, or organic searches results, you know we want that business as well. So. I think paid search um, comes brings about 10% of our traffic in. I like to use a nice little algorithm as far as to determine what your spend is for for search engine marketing. Uh, and basically, it's you know you take the percentage of overall traffic you want to you know take from paid, you times it by your return on ad spend that you want. You want to make sure that uh, for me, I never take a lower return on ad spend lower than two and a quarter, and that basically pays for the agency's time and mine. So for every dollar I spend, I want to make sure I'm at least getting two and a quarter back. Otherwise. Um, I know it's not a worthwhile campaign, uh, either for my time or the agency's time or or both of us together. Typically, we're looking for campaign results in the five or six range, um, but we don't want to overwhelm our users or non-users as, as well. We never like to bring in too much more traffic than 12 or 15%. We average around 10%, and that tends to be pretty healthy for us. Uh, so that's paid. That's organic. Before you go into organic, do you find that it's because there's ad fatigue when you go over... 12%, 15% traffic or? No, because they're definitely um, different different users, different visitors. So it's not, you know, we're not hitting the same person, you know, time and time again. Well, well let me say this. I mean, if you're searching for Chrome Industries, you're going to see a Chrome Industries ad. You're going to see us in, uh, in the search results as well. So you expect to see it. We don't want to ever deliver something that's unexpected. You're not going to search for cat trees or kitty litter liners and come up with Chrome Industries. I mean, that would be silly. No one's going to click on that. So it's a wasted, it's a wasted click. It's wasted ad spend. So it definitely has to be, you know, related, intuitive searches. And we use some really great agencies um, to help us with that. And uh, uh, Eddie Castillo, who handles all of my UX and UI at Chrome, uh, I'm just, I'm laughing because a Chrome bag just walked by me here uh, where I'm sitting. You know, Eddie does a great job at, at all of our on-site SEO and then Elite SEM. An agency out of San Francisco, New York, handles all of our uh, our marketing efforts. They do a really, really good job at that too. So it's not really fatigue at that point. That really comes in with you're talking retargeting um, ads when, uh, and we've all seen this where uh, you hit a page in your website and then all of a sudden you get served an ad by this company. You know, really ad nauseum for what seems like forever. You know, we try to limit that to uh, a two to three week engagement of uh, you know three or four impressions across different mediums, social, display, uh, things like that, because we we really don't want people 
people to uh, to hurt the brand. We don't want these ads to hurt the brand. So I've seen that happen before too. Yeah, it's interesting because most people just go the full like 60, 90 day cookie and they just blast people as much as you can. And- yeah, and that's and that's a shame because at some point you're just like enough already. I, I I didn't buy it for a reason, you know. And so again, we have some really really good traffic that comes to our site and and uh, our engagement rate is pretty high. And we have a very aspirational product that you know they're not cheap. Our bags aren't cheap. Our our products are so high quality and and. Uh, uh, and they're made with with such good good folks and good intent behind them that they last a long time, and, and that comes with the price. And so we find that a lot of folks abandon our site without without purchasing because it's just a higher price point. And and that's really where um, retargeting doesn't hurt you because it's just kind of a nice little nudge. You know, here you go. Here's our product. Again, if you want it, come back. Sometimes it's because they just didn't know that we're as popular as as we are, and they see it in another marketplace. They see it in another ad someplace. They see it on social, and they go, oh, yeah, yeah. I really like that bag. I think I'm going to bite the bullet. And sometimes they put it in their in their cart, and when you add up uh, tax or shipping, even though we do free shipping right now, um, if they want expedited or whatever, that, that, that cost could be pretty high. And they abandon their cart at that point because they're not sure they want to uh, pull the trigger. So at that point, we uh, we target them with an abandoned cart ad, uh, or, or sorry, an email. Um, we send three emails out. So again, not something that's overwhelming. They can opt out at any time. On any kind of click, they can opt out on that. Uh, we do the retargeting. Our email marketing is kind of our bread and butter because that's really our chance to communicate one-on-one with our customer. And they're not always um, product-related. Many times they're event-related or community-related as well. Um, and so, you know, our marketing efforts are uh, are vast. We do some smart targeting. Uh, people call this similar audience campaigns. You know, finding people who behave like your folks. But we also analyze the behavior of folks on our website in general and just kind of wonder when they show up on, on chromeindustries.com, uh, do they do this or do they do that. Are they more apt to do this or more apt to do that? We learn that behavior and we try to match that behavior at a later time. Either with that person, uh, we match up their cookie and, and display uh, something for them, either maybe a reinforced message of our free shipping or lifetime warranty on our bags, or we use that data to inform people who are like them who come back and behave in similar ways. So uh, yeah, marketing is a very, very big, uh, it's a big beast. It's becoming bigger. It's becoming very, very specialized. Uh, and these uh, hyper-specialists are are uh, all over the place, you know, uh, sending you emails every day trying to get your business. And so you got to know what you're looking for. You could spend way more money than you, than you ever bring back um, if you just kind of spend uh, wherever. So you want to spend smartly. I would say definitely email is still king. Um, retargeting is huge. Abandoning carts are big. Um, and then obviously SEO and paid um, are always part of the makeup. So those five, five or six efforts are, are really where we concentrate our efforts. And uh, we have some pretty good returns from that. Gotcha. And which one would you say is working well the best for you guys? Uh, you know, I would say email. I mean, email is huge. You know, again, it's it's where we can talk to our folks in our voice. Um, and we're not trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. I mean, we'll present you with new products. If you click on it, great. If you buy it, even better. But we're not trying to try to hook you in the right, you know, SEO language or the right SEM language. You know, that's really for new visitors. And that's very important. We always want to grow our business, grow our, grow the eye on the brand and, and, and obviously grow the revenue, but but it's really important to us. I mean, it's paramount to us to have that relationship one-on-one with our user, with our customer. And again, that could be somebody who's purchased or not. To, to us at that point, when we're talking to them, we're just talking to them. And we're talking to them if there's one or a million. And uh, I'll tell you, we're, our email list is somewhere in the middle. Nice. And we're talking email as in newsletter email or like card abandonment emails or just kind of... Uh, in, in this instance, I'm talking about newsletter emails, people who have signed up to, to get to get our emails. Um, you know, the abandoned card emails, and that's, that's definitely in our voice and it's still it's still relevant and it's still initiated by both the user and by us, the, by them, by abandoning, by us because we want to speak with them. And we see great uptick with abandoned card campaigns. I mean, that's... Um, 
that's really, really a, a great campaigns if you do it, set it up properly. Again, that's, that could be a four-part you know, mini podcast episode as well. But for us, really, um, where we can really talk, we can really engage with our user, that's through our email newsletter. That's very important to us. Yeah, and I'm sure after 18 years, you guys have this ideal avatar of the customer that you know the language they use and kind of how to talk to them, even just from offline interactions in the store, right? I'm sure it's kind of the same avatar online too. So yeah, I would say um, I would say it's not really that the that we have an ideal perspective of who our customer is, although we do. I would say that we just haven't changed. I mean, Chrome is Chrome is Chrome. Um, again, what we talked about earlier, we don't really bend to to the whims of the industry, uh, and and so we do what we do, and uh, you either like it or you don't. And so we're not really in the market to really say that you know we're going to go after this person or that person. You know, we we go after people who want to know about us, and again, whether they've purchased or not. So while that person in aggregate starts to take shape and starts to look like you know this guy or that girl, um, it's not necessarily us crafting them. It's just us having a conversation with somebody who happens to look like this person. If that makes sense. All right. And so one thing I want to touch upon is uh, Instagram, because I see on your website, you guys have an Instagram feed. Uh, you know, it's still something like I can't really figure out. So for a business kind of at Chrome size, are you finding good ROI on Instagram or is it just kind of like a fun content side of thing to have? Yeah, I wouldn't call it uh, a fun content thing. I would just say it's a necessary extension of our brand. It's a, it's the way that we can talk to our consumers and our fans and they can talk to us. They can share images of their new Chrome custom bag. Uh, they can show us just really the bike ride they were just on or you know lately we've been seeing a lot of great uh motorcycle uh shots and, and things like that and it's not always about the product it's it's just more about the vibe the community the the feeling and that's the kind of stuff that that's important and, and i would say well instagram is not something if you're you know if you're listening to this and you're saying i'm going to use instagram to drive my revenue that's probably not the best way to go um, but if you want to build your brand build your presence uh, and build an authentic community uh then it's a great way to do it um, but it, you know, you're making sure that you're taking the right photos. You know, you're not just using any filter because you want to, or sharing, you know, X, Y, and Z. It's because that stuff gets old very quickly. It's a, it's listening to the consumer. It's understanding who they are, and that it's more of a window into understanding our consumer than it is a window for us to share things with them. So um, Instagram is great. There's a reason why they don't they don't let you, you know, link off and track, you know people from Instagram. There's a reason there's no web version of Instagram. It's because, I mean, I think there is, but it's not something you can like post on. It's more because, uh, you know, they don't want, it's not about that. It's about really just engaging with people on the fundamental level of photography. Uh, and that's a really cool thing for us. Yeah. One thing I realized Instagram is kind of like a peek into someone's life in a sense. Like you just look for someone in like Tibet. Now you can look at his Instagram. Like what is he doing? around there like it's kind of cool that way exactly exactly that's uh it is very cool and again that's that's why it's so important to us because it's more about a look into into the world of our community we invite people to be part of that community um there's no joining involved it's just hey hashtag this hashtag that we'd love to be a part of uh, of your world and so uh anyone who's in part in, in a city uh living life community you know hanging out exploring your city exploring a new city uh and that's really where chrome is and uh and people are gracious enough to let us be a part of their world. Mm, gotcha. And you mentioned uh, email was a big uh, channel of marketing for you guys. And you know how kind of like the internet marketing world has uh, these opt-in dates, right? To get people to give you your email. And you guys have a very low-key kind of opt-in. It's like at the bottom of your page. And 
you know, do people just sign up naturally or how are you guys getting people onto your list? Well, we do a few different things. Um, one, the first time you ever visit our website, if you're uncookied um, or never visited before, we do show you a modal box that pops up on, on any page. Uh, it just kind of says, hey, get, you know, uh, get the skinny, get the download on Chrome, and uh, we invite you to sign up then. If you decide not to, if you decide to or not to, you never get that message again unless you clear your cookies. So that's the first way of doing it. Second way of doing it is this very unobtrusive way, which is in the bottom of the page. Um, you know, we find that people, people do both. Um, there's also an opportunity to opt in and check out when you purchase. You know, that one, that first one you get is a little bit in your face, but really we're just, we're giving you this one opportunity. We're not going to hit you up again um, in this fashion. One opportunity to be part of, of something pretty cool and, uh, and, and get news in the community on events, on, on you know, maybe deals, you know, with the, very, the very rare deals we do here and there. I'm a big fan of modal boxes if they pop up once and they never come up again. Um, but I'm also a fan of just having something that's kind of out of the way as well. So the folks who don't really want it, they can kind of kick it off to the side, and when they want to sign up, when it's when it's the right time, it's the right time. Yeah, I'm getting the feeling the whole brand is a very kind of take it or leave it thing. Like if it resonates with you, you'll be part of it. But if it's not, hey, you'll just go elsewhere, and you know. Yeah, I'm trying really hard not to curse in this uh, in this little interview because uh, because that's typically my mo if anyone talked to you from the office. But uh, but basically, you know, Chrome is a very fuck you kind of brand, and so we're we're all kind of like you know, yeah, this is who we are. It's born out of the bike messenger culture. It's born out of cities. It's you know, it's true. It's authentic. It's you know, hailing a taxi cab, and he and he drives away from you and doesn't doesn't stop. And you're in the pouring rain. You know, hopefully you're you're wearing one of our storm cobras. It's that kind of like you know, fuck off. What's going on? I'm gonna do it my way. It's I'm gonna I'm gonna ride my bike into the city and I'm gonna go to the bar afterwards. It's it's gonna be like you know, I'm gonna personalize my bag the way I want to. We get a lot of folks who buy bags and then just patch them up and and uh, spray paint them and and do some things. It's because that's just kind of the culture it is. I, I've seen guys, I, and this is true, I, I see people in the subway system here in San Francisco, 45, 50 years old, and they've, they've got their Chrome bag for 20 years. Well, almost 20 years. We haven't been along quite that long. And it's beat up and torn up, and they still have things they've etched into it from college days. And that's real. That's authentic. That's meaty. And so, yeah, our marketing efforts uh, are part of that. Our website's part of that. I can tell you that it took me a very long time to accept that, that that's who we are because that's the brand and you know I come I came from uh, a place that was uh, that was very bells and whistles which was very colorful and that's not what we're about at Chrome and I'm, and I'm proud that I'm at this company because that's really that's really what it's that's like you know that, that's life you know we're honest with you you're honest with us if you buy our stuff great if not we'll still have a beer with you kind of as e-commerce director what's your biggest challenge now going into 2014 wow that's a great question I would say the biggest the biggest challenge for for us is um, I would say from a from a technological standpoint the biggest challenge I think facing people is tapping into this mobile thing how people read their emails when they read their emails um, how they scroll all that stuff is changing because of tablet and mobile the experience the optimiz optimization of those experiences is very very key and being able to tenor that with the right message at the right time is going to be very interesting I think the biggest challenge as an industry for us is going to be um, how do you let people know that you're down the corner at a retail hub and you have a special for them and they're walking by with their mobile phone. That kind of stuff is scary, kind of finding people, GPS, RFID, all that kind of thing. It's very interesting as well. And so, you know, cracking that nut is going to be, uh, it's going to be a long process, but I think the people who understand it are going to win. And so that's, that's a big thing. I'm trying to understand that. I mean, first it was responsive design, you know, making sure you don't have an M site, making sure that your page loads fast on your smartphone and you can still optimize your tablet with larger buttons. I mean, that was a big part of it and we're still doing those things. But I think the next round, and this is just my gut feeling, is really trying to figure out with the proliferation of smartphones and mobile devices and the people shopping for those devices, how can you deliver them an authentic 
experience and eventually deliver them the product um, while they're mobile in a mobile city, in a city that's moving very fast, in a way that they want it delivered in an authentic brand fashion. I think that's going to be the really, really cool nut to crack, and I'm excited to be part of that. For us personally, it's, it's, it, you know, it's a lot of that stuff, but it's also you know, just refining our experience to the point where we can continue to understand our customer, we can continue to meet them where they want to be met. It's growing, it's growing our, our fan base, it's growing um, uh, ways we can deliver product to them. Uh, we just launched Chrome Europe in August. And so we have, uh, we have a warehouse in, in Europe. We have a uh, fine young gentleman there by the name of Florian who answers all of our phone calls in, in either German, English, or Dutch. And um, we're delivering product to Europe in the, in the same great way we can do it in the United States. Um, it's probably looking at expansion in that way, making sure we can get um, you know, our, our product to, to the masses. Um, but all in a very controlled way. You know, we're not about blowing this thing up just to, just to sell product everywhere. It's, it's really about you know, what, what people want in our product, where are they, and how do we get it to them in the best way possible. So those are the, some of the challenges we have facing us. Uh, the holiday season coming up here in a couple weeks. You know, that's always it's always interesting. It's always interesting every year to see uh, more people online than the year before, more people online than in your retail stores. So, um, understanding that and, uh, and meeting people, meeting people at the gate when they come in, and letting them take choose their path when they get there. I think that's going to be uh, the challenges we're facing in the next 12 to 14 months. Yeah, because I guess mobile. Like I was talking to a designer friend, he was saying, how, how do you integrate the experience on, say, the iPhone and the iPad and make it seamless with the desktop and you know, how do you tie all these together? Like you said, when you walk by SF and your store is 500 meters away, how do you tell them that, you know, hey, drop by and say hello? Like, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the big nut, right? I mean, it's, it's permission marketing. I think you're starting to see things like Apple and Google starting to, uh, you know, to put some mapping software and some devices on your, on your smartphones that, that you may or may not know are there, that you may or may not know are still tracking your position and they're selling that data or other companies are tapping into it and selling the data. Well, we never want to get that creepy. We definitely want to have an opt-in experience with, uh, with your, your permission to, to, to do some things. But how do you meet people on the street in the city where your product is most likely to be used and, and where it should be used? I mean, that's a really, really interesting experience. Where I'm sitting right now, I, I must have seen 20 or 50 Chrome bags go by. Um, how do I engage with those people? If they're walking by a store, if they just know that another Chrome user is nearby, or if we have a pop-up store or a fitting station someplace, how do you connect with people? It's all about connection. Um, for us, and um, and I think that's you know we're losing sight of that as a generation, and so uh, if we can help crack that nut, I think we'll all be better for it. And so uh, just to wrap things up, uh, where can we find out more about Chrome, and if we want to connect with you online? Well, I've purposely been saying ChromeIndustries.com a few times during this conversation, so hopefully uh, people have written it down already, or Googled it, or dropped on by while we've been chatting. But yeah, ChromeIndustries.com, and uh, from there you can go ahead and pick your pick your location if you're outside the U.S. Um, in one of our other cities or countries, rather. All right. Thanks so much, Kyle. You guys can find out more about Chrome at chromeindustries.com. And Kyle, thanks again for coming on the show. I know there's a lot of other topics we could have went into, but I guess we'll save it for another episode uh, maybe next time. So <laughs> thanks again. Yeah, yeah. I probably talked your ear off, but uh, but this is exciting stuff. It's fun stuff, and uh, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk to some folks about it. So so thanks so much, Terry. And uh, you know, I look forward to uh, chatting with you in the future. To get more information about running an online store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast.